Hello everyone, welcome to the Talking Pharmacy podcast, where we take a look back at what's been happening in pharmacy over the past week. My name is Richard Thomas, I'm the editor of Pharmacy Magazine. Join me on the pod this week are Rob Darakot, editor of P3 Pharmacy, Arthur Walsh, editor of our daily news service, Pharmacy Network News, and Neil Trainis, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist. It's been another busy week in pharmacy, uh, so we've got lots to catch up on. Let's start straight away then with Good Week, Bad Week. And it's Good Week. First, um, Rob, who's had a a good week for you? Hi there, Richard. Yeah, thanks very much. Uh, Good week for me, hot off the press because it was only last night. Uh, Pharmacy teams in Scotland, so the whole pharmacy network, have achieved some more recognition, this time in the Scottish Health Awards. So uh, a fabulous uh, response here. Top team award winners. And it's really nice that it's not necessarily an organisation, but um, the citation is for community pharmacy teams across Scotland. So uh, we've talked about them quite a lot over the year. We've talked about how Community Pharmacy Scotland has um, kept people motivated and uplifted with their with their um, nightly, as it seemed, right at the start, and then uh, weekly uh, video blogs from Harry and Matt and the team, and uh, great recognition at the end of the year, really, for uh, for some fantastic sterling work over many, many months. So well done to uh, pharmacies across Scotland. Uh, yeah, well done. Uh, well done to, to Community Pharmacy Scotland. Um, they have done a good job at there, haven't they? And, you know, that was my... Good week as well, actually, Rob. I was saying, uh, I was thinking, well, another good week for community pharmacy teams in Scotland um, because, you know, last week they were told they were going to receive a, a 500 payment from the Scottish, 500 pound payment uh, from the Scottish government as a thank you for their efforts during the pandemic. And this week, uh, pharmacies were told in Scotland they were going to receive financial support for staffing costs between May uh, and June of this year to the, to the tune of four point five million pound and don't forget this is in addition to to the previous financial support package uh, that was made earlier um, in the pandemic yeah some great things happening in Scotland you know a columnist in the the December issue of pharmacy magazine actually which I'm just putting to press now he he wrote that most contractors in England uh, if they could would relocate in a heartbeat to north of Hadrian's Wall um, and you can see why, can't you? So, yeah, another good week for, for pharmacies in Scotland and uh, a very good week for, for Community Pharmacy Scotland for winning that team award. At One the, other thing, uh, Richard, uh, just to pick up on your on your point there. Um, nice to see, uh, you know, representative of the Scottish government as well on the on the um, actually, you know, having a conversation with the, the host of the awards evening, Fred McCauley. Uh, with Harry last night. So Alison Strath was there as well. And it's, you know, there's really clearly lots and lots of conversations going on between uh, CPS and the Scottish government. Uh, and those kind of things, those relationships have really helped um, help them get through this, uh, this nine, 10 months. And as you say, the good news keeps on coming. I know it's only, in many cases, reimbursing uh, pharmacies for costs that they've, uh, they've incurred, but it's, it's all, it's all part of the whole part of the story, isn't it? Yeah, it is all part of the story, Rob. And I think, you know, you're right. It's the, the kind of connectedness, if that's the right word, of the uh, the Scottish contractors and their representatives and professional bodies and the government that, that, that seems to strike me. Um, you know, they are moving 
you know, more or less together in the same direction and, and, and making, you know, a lot of progress, I think, you know, as a result. So, yeah, good week all round for uh, the pharmacy in Scotland and, and well done again to Community Pharmacy Scotland. Uh, Arthur, who's had a, a good week for you? Yeah, very well done to CPS. Um, I'm going to move away from pharmacy this week. Uh, going to talk about the German Chancellor Angela Merkel, who made a televised plea to the German public to reduce their contacts over the festive period, saying she, you know, apologises from the bottom of her heart for saying this, and she understands how much people, you know, love their Christmas markets and so on. But if if people are too relaxed. Uh, then it could have a real impact on on death rates, and it could be you know quite quite a mode of words. It could be your last Christmas with your grandparents if 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 we take too many risks. Um, and it was less sort of the content than just the tone of the tone she used. It was very um, sort of human to human, very urgent, and it just it was such a stark contrast with what you usually see with politicians during the crisis. Um, definitely very different to to. To Boris Johnson, who uh, you can often see a, little, a hint of a smirk or or something like that, or I think I think Boris's equivalent of trying to be, to strike this sort of genuine emotive tone is when he says he's trying to wrap his arms around the nation and he just think get away from me. But uh, yeah, no, I thought I thought it was really um really effective communication and effective leadership. Yeah, I I agree. I was struck by that, and uh, of course, you know, infections are are beginning to rise again in Germany. So, um, yeah, she, she communicated very well. And like you say, Arthur, d- didn't pull her punches. So, yeah, good week for the German Chancellor. Uh, Neil, what about you? Who's had a good week for you? Well, I've got two, uh, I suppose, mini good weeks, if I, if I may. And the first one would be Argentina. Argentina, OK. Why, why is that there? In Argentina, yeah. It, it, well, in the wake of, obviously, they, they're losing their iconic superstar, um, they've, following that, they've had a very good week. They've actually passed a new tax on its wealthiest people to pay for COVID costs. So, re, you know, relief measures and medical supplies during this pandemic. And, I, and it's dubbed the millionaire, Millionaire's Tax. And it's Senate, the Argentinian Senate passed this uh, into law. Uh, fantastic, uh, quite, quite frankly. I wish that we'd done that here. You know, it just takes me back to the sort of uh, early in the pandemic when we were asking some of our wealthiest people in the UK to sort of dig deep into their pockets and we had nothing coming back. And I'm talking about Premier League footballers um, and, and so on, not really uh, doing their bit. Um, I know there's, they, they, they did have this uh, fund, Premier League fund, which was, a non, funnily enough, anonymous fund that, that footballers could pay into. We never know who's paid what into it. But I just thought Argentina, that, that, you know, fantastic. It's a great idea. Uh, I, I wish we'd had something similar here. So a good week for Argentina on, on that on that uh, on that count. It's also been a good week for self care and the PAGB, actually, um, with the news that there was a survey released uh, this week that indicated that twenty uh, percent of people under the age of sixty bought more multivitamins and seventeen percent purchased more immunity boosting vitamins during the pandemic, and more people under the age of sixty are increasingly engaging in self care. Um, uh, study carried out by three gem research and Pegasus. Now, it was a fairly uh, decent-sized study, 4,000 people, I think it was, 4,000 adults. Um, and uh, just to show you people, are, it's, well, according to the study, people, more people are taking more responsibility for their own, for their own health, uh, which is a good thing. So it's been a good week uh, for self-care and a good week for, for the PAGB. They'll be very happy as well, I think. 
Yeah, go, going back to your Argentina thing, Neil, I, I don't know whether it takes us back to the beginning of the pandemic, it takes us back to the 1970s <laughs> Labour government under Harold Wilson, yes. it? Wealth, wealth redistribution. Yeah. So that, that was an interesting one. But, you know, in, in all seriousness, yeah, I, I, I saw that uh, that uh, PAGB research. And yeah, it does seem as if self-care has undergone not so much a resurgence, but um, is changing consumer behaviors as a result of covid and of course if if kind of pharmacy you know locks into that pharmacy can really capitalize on 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 this healthcare agenda then that's good for for the sector and obviously it's good for consumers and patients i think they take a bit more responsibility for their own health um given the the current circumstances so yeah that's there've been a few surveys i think that have said that kind of thing during the course of this pandemic and i think that's really encouraging. So now it's time for bad week. Neil, I'll, I'll come back to you if I may. Who's had a bad week in pharmacy for you? It's been a bad week for wholesalers, Richard. Um, there's a survey that's just been released in the last few days by the NPA. Uh, relatively small sample of pharmacies, 118 pharmacies, but nevertheless, some pretty uh, uh, you know dire findings in there. Many wholesalers. Many, many independent pharmacies, sorry, uh, believe that their main mainline wholesalers are unfairly hitting them with surcharges. Uh, 70% of those pharmacies said that surcharges were not clearly justifiable or proportionate, and just one in 10 said quotas were being allocated uh, equitably, either sometimes or always. Um, what really did catch my eye, uh, however, was kind of disturbing, uh, but I think it's a, a fairly well-worn, we'll call it an allegation because we, we don't have any hard evidence for this, but uh, the majority of independents said that, um, you know, the, uh, the number of products available through quotas has risen in the last six months. And some have said that the big pharmacy chains don't have the same problems as independents and are given preferential treatment when it comes to obtaining stock, which I think we'd all agree is, is pretty shocking, uh, if that's true. Um, now, we did ask Martin Saw, uh, the Healthcare Distribution Association, for his response, and his immediate reaction was, well, we... We just can't get involved in this. We're, you know, these are individual commercial matters that, that, are, that are just down to the individual wholesaler to, to deal with. Um, we can't we can't poke our nose in here. And he meant that in terms of the surcharges and in ter- terms of the quotas. Um, now, I'd, it's not we we did get a response from Alliance Healthcare on the on the surcharges, um, and Alliance Healthcare said that in order to operate a nationwide twice day daily delivery service, it does need to apply a low spend surcharge as per its items and conditions. And they do work hard to ensure that customers don't incur uh, surcharges. And AAH uh, responded to us as well, and they said that its current pricing policy does, does not issue a low account surcharge for community pharmacy customers. Um, Phoenix didn't respond. The thing that struck me about this survey was that for the first top, well, for the first time in a long time, uh, as far as I can remember, is that you have wholesalers actually named, individual wholesalers being named here. Uh, and I thought that's a good thing. You know, um, pharmacists, I think there's a general view here that independents, uh, many of them may be a little bit scared or a bit afraid to sort of name the wholesaler or name themselves, even identify themselves as the complainant because of potential repercussions or, you know, being blacklisted. This is a general kind of fear, I think, running through the the, uh, the the profession. So that's good that they've been named. I think that's a good thing, a constructive thing, and it gives the individual wholesalers a chance to respond, which they have. Coming back to the HDA, um, I, I think Rob will have a view on this. You know, they are a trade body. They do represent wholesalers. 
Um, but it's, I think personally, my view is I think they should be um, doing more to crack down on, on and rein in their members. There's a view that they, that's not their function as a trade body. But I think that if you don't do that, if HDA doesn't do that, and nobody reigns in uh, the, like the, these particular wholesalers, or not just those wholesalers, um, how how do we correct the problem? How do we resolve the problem? It will just go on and on and on and until and, and till it's, till it's reined in. So I, for me, it's been a very bad week for wholesalers. Yeah, what, what I don't quite get with that survey is, you know, that you, it's, you hear it a lot, don't you, that independents say that um, the multiples, vertically integrated multiples, receive preferential treatment yeah. with with quotas i mean you you just you just cannot prove that one way or the other and and i doubt it's the case anyway but you just can't prove it that's not to say that the actuality of the situation on the ground with quotas for independence you know there's no transparency at all and and independence just just don't just don't know where they are with yeah. with with quotas that's the reality of the situation so i think i don't, the preferential treatment thing i don't get the way that uh, wholesalers handle quotas for independence, I think, is is appalling, really, and, and definitely well, needs to be needs to be looked at. Just to add to that, I mean, yeah, and I agree with you know, in terms of preferential treatment, you know, that you need to have, as with anything, you know, you need to see the evidence of that, and and there, and there isn't any uh, substantial evidence. But, but why why is there not a way to sort of on the you know, so the wholesalers could could tap into this as well to sort of to alleviate concerns why don't we have a i don't know a mechanism where there's some there's some kind of um transparency mechanism put in place where which wholesalers sign up to and and independent and pharma community pharmacists sign up to everybody's buys into this where where, where we actually see you know what, what what's going on in terms of you know, what's going where who's getting what products what you know whether it's a boot branch, branch of boots getting products or it's a branch of an independent down the road is there not some kind of transparency that we could we could, I don't know, you know, you know, put into the system. But whatever transparency, transparency is is what's lacking with with, with quotas. Certainly on the ground, independents just 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 don't know where these quota yeah. levels are being set, and it leaves them in a you know in a very difficult position sometimes. Rob, what did you make of this? What did I make of it? I've seen it before. This is exactly the same story as last year, and it's exactly the same story as 2014. That's what I you know, and I think that. Um, you know, it's it's a good story. I, I'd like to know, I, it, Neil said right up front, it's a small survey. Is it a self-selecting survey? Because if you ask people to complain or you've asked people in a general survey if they've got any complaints, then you're going to get complaints. I'm not saying that those complaints aren't legitimate. I'm just saying that it's difficult to tell from a small survey when we don't really know how the survey was conducted, whether this is a, whether you can extrapolate this to the to the generality of of all pharmacies or not. And I think the NPA are very honest in saying it's a small survey and accepting that. I'll just come back on one point, though, that um, two two things that Neil, Neil talked about. Um, first of all, I mean, there is a standard. Uh, the HDA sets the standards for its members and they all sign up to it. It's called the gold standard of good distribution practice. So, you know, if there are failings, it will be good to, for, for um, the HDA members, if, effectively, to be held to account against their own standards, not standards set by somebody else. You know, there's a challenge for trade bodies. Um, you know that, that trade bodies can't generally tell their members what to do. I don't think MPA members would accept it, find it acceptable if the MPA told them what to do. They advise them and they give them 
they promote good practice and they hope that members will follow that, but they can't tell people what to do. Um, and the HDA is no different to that, I don't think. But what they have got and what you can do is you can hold them to account for the standards that they set for their members and that their members therefore have collectively established for themselves. And I think it would be useful going forward for the um, for the HDA's standards of good distribution practice to be used as the baseline for these kind of surveys. And if that then shows failings, then the way you resolve it is you have to get around the table, you have to talk about it. And I'm not entirely sure that, you know, producing these surveys and, you know, sending it to us and we publish it is quite the way to get some of these long rooted problems solved to the satisfaction of both parties you know you have to start talking well that i mean yeah sorry Rob, just to cut in. I, 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 that, you're absolutely right there has to be an end game doesn't there yeah it has to be an is. end game and i and i'll just go back to the psnc uh because the wholesalers have not had a good couple of months in terms of it's not a good look some of the things that are coming out doesn't look good or uh, it, it's not you know looking very good for them you know the psnc david broom uh, said only in October, didn't he? He said that, uh, you know, in terms of, because they're running, a, we all know that they're running a survey on quotas at the moment. And uh, and some of the feedback from that was pretty, pretty bad. You know, in, in, there were cases where wholesalers were denying pharmacies the supply of a drug if they were not a first line customer of that wholesaler, just denying them any product, you know, things like that. This, it, that was October. So it's been a pretty bad two months, but I agree with you. There needs to be an end, there needs to be an end game and end product. What do you, it's no good just rolling out. I, I did ask the PSNC, you know what? What's what is the um, the end, the ultimate uh, you know result of this quotas survey? What do you do with your your your, your anecdotal evidence? What do you do with this? And they they didn't really give a, a, a clear a clear response as to what they're going to do. Are they going to publish a report on it? Are they going to go to government and, and is go, are government going to crack down a little bit on wholesalers? Are they going to? Is there some way of resolving this? You know, it's got to be an end game. So you're right. There, there hasn't been an end game. You can you can run a million surveys if you want, saying the same thing. There has to be a, a resolution to this. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. I look forward to the 2021 version. So, yeah, you, well, this one is going to run and run, isn't it? Um, I think uh, it, it's clearly there's a lot of dissatisfaction. But, I mean, Rob makes a very good point about, you know, whether the, the wholesalers should almost police themselves by by judging their performance against the gold standard. So that's a good point by Rob. Well, I, think, I think the NPA could, could use their standard um, in their mm-hmm. survey. I mean, they're, they're the ones who promoted it. They're the ones who collected yeah, it. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, they're, they... They're, they're, they should be held to those standards. You're right. Standards you're right. Not, not, you know, good enough. Then that's, that's a subject for a conversation, isn't it? It is. And the MPA, gosh, they did create those service standards. When, when, when was it? Probably about uh, 2014, 2015, something like that. I, I, I can't remember now. So, and then that, that's, they used those standards of these surveys then are measured against against those standards, aren't they? I suppose the MPA would say that it is talking uh, to the HDA about trying to tackle some of these issues. But um, there are issues still regarding quotas. They do need to be tackled, and it would be nice to see some progress on all of this um, because it's desperately needed. Okay, uh, I think we should move on. Arthur, who's had a bad week for you? Well, Rob got deja vu with uh, the MPA talking about surcharges. Um, I'm potentially going to deliver another dose of deja vu talking about Brexit and the risk of a no-deal Brexit. Uh, we've talked about this on the on the pod before, but um, but Boris Johnson is, is over in Brussels, or he, he was over in Brussels last night with Ursula von der Leyen, and uh, the 
it's it doesn't it sound as 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 that as, as though talks are going well. Um, so uh, so obviously it gives journalists a break from talking about coronavirus, but it has to be stressed that the impact of a no deal Brexit on the medicine supply chain it could be very serious. Sort of you know in the first three months after uh, from January next year, and uh, we could be talking about running at sixty to eighty percent of, of of normal medicine medicine supplies. Um, so a, a bad week for everyone involved, I guess, in sort of uh, in failing to 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 reach reach agreements because you know this is it's literally two weeks to go, and we're as much in the up uh, in the dark as as we were three three or four years ago. Um, obviously, the, the um, pharmaceutical companies have been asked to to, to build um, stockpiles and we'll have those to draw on should should the worst come to pass and also um the mhra has stressed that the um that a no deal brexit would not affect the uh, coronavirus vaccine which is 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 definitely the good news story this week um so though so there's some solace there but i think it uh, reflects very badly on uh on the UK and the EU negotiators that were still in this situation, however long after. Yeah, really worrying, Arthur, isn't it? They've had four years to, to work on this, uh, and now they've got four days until Sunday night to sort something out. Extremely worrying implications for the supply chain, um, pharmaceutical supply chain, if they don't. So, uh, yeah, we need a resolution. Let's hope we get one. Well, okay, what about me? Well, bad week for me. Um, for those giants of of political journalism, Robert Peston, Kay Burley, and Beth Rigby. Right, let's start with Peston, uh, that famously long-winded ITV political editor who uh, ended up with egg on his face this week for making uh, the erroneous assumption in a in a rather sceptical tweet that the control group. Uh, in the Oxford vaccine trial, received a, a placebo, uh, whereas in fact the control group, uh, control group received a meningitis vaccine. And the reason this caught his attention um, was because uh, an adverse event had been reported in, in the control group. So he got it wrong, um, badly wrong, actually. And this seemed to sum up, to me, perfectly, a, a, a big problem with a lot of the COVID coverage in the national media, because... And we have talked about this on the pod before. Rob has mentioned it. It's the political journalists who've been partic- particularly prominent throughout all of this, and have and have done a lot of the heavy listing. But I think at, at the expense of the health specialists, and you know they haven't done it very well. If Peston had bothered to do his research properly and actually read the paper in the Lancet, he wouldn't have posed such a stupid question. Now this kind of thing really matters because it just gives fuel to all those conspiracy idiots at a time when when building trust with the vaccine is. Is so important. It's incredibly damaging. Um, now there has been some some really really good journalism done on COVID by the specialists, by the likes of I'm thinking of Tom Whipple in the Times. Uh, he's the science editor. Fergus Walsh on the BBC. Uh, Paul Newkey in the Telegraph. Um, some really good stuff. But some of the big names and their their gotcha journalism, um, not so much. And then we have Kay Burley and Beth Rigby. Um, breaching COVID restrictions at Burley's 60th birthday bash. Why does this matter? Well, because they have been amongst the most prominent critics of the government's lockdown strategy, saying on more than one occasion that it doesn't go far enough. And then they do this. It's a big blow, I think, to the credibility of their journalism and obviously completely 
and utterly hypocritical. So uh, for me, bad week for Peston, Burley and Rigby. So let's finish up with with any other business. Um, I'll kick off with this one, my favourite time of the year, uh, because it's when Google publishes its years in search survey. And this looks at all the popular queries and questions that we as a nation have spent the year looking up online. It's a great read. Um, As you'd expect, it's wall-to-wall COVID, but uh, a couple of gems stuck out, including uh, at number six in the how-to section, how to cook eel. (laughs) Where Where did that come from? And the second most popular question, apparently, um, if you believe this, is where does vanilla flavouring come from? And um, guess what? I've just Googled this uh, literally while, while, while I'm talking. And vanilla flavouring apparently comes from the anal secretions of beavers. Oh. I mean, is that, is that true? <laughs> um, I'll have to look this one up. Let me have a look. Vanilla, I think vanilla came should... from vanilla pods. So did I, but it's all over Google. It's got anal secretions of beavers <laughs> everywhere. Oh, okay. Well, maybe that you shouldn't trust everything you you Google, should you? Really? Uh, but look, it's a it's a funny read. A uh, little bit of light relief. Uh, check it out. Uh, Neil, have you seen anything well, look, uh, that's, that doesn't involve um, <laughs> anal secretions of beavers? Well, I've, 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 just a couple of things. One's a very somber. I hate to drag you down. It's somber news, actually. It's just emerged that Paolo, all our football fans out there, know, you, you know I love football, Richard, but Paolo Rossi, the legendary Italian striker, has died oh, yeah. um, at the age of 64, which is a real shame. Um, and the, I don't, we don't know the cause of his death, um, but uh, terrible. Um, great centre forward. Um, everyone remember, well, people of a certain age will remember his hat-trick against uh, Brazil, wasn't it, I think? 82. So, yeah, that's a real shame. Um, and actually, the other one was um, much more upbeat. Was, uh, it was good to see William Shakespeare get his COVID jab, wasn't it? He was the second person in the world, I believe, to get the COVID jab. William Shakespeare. Sorry, sorry Neil, I did laugh. I was on mute. <laughs> <laughs> that's obviously not the bard, William Shakespeare. That's William Shakespeare from Warwickshire. 81 years old. He was the second person, apparently, to get the COVID jab, which is good. And it, it just a little uh, joke occurred to me. I'm, I'm, forgive the joke. It is a bad joke, and it's not the flu, technically, but I thought taming of the flu. No? Oh, yeah. very good. Yeah. Am I, you're, you're, am I... you're lost. You're lost with us, aren't you? You should be somewhere else, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to get out for years, Rob. Listen, I was looking for a headline. Daily Star headline, if ever I saw one. <laughs> That's my that's my headline for my next winter ailments feature sorted out. Thank you for it's that. It's usually Arthur comes up with the really good headlines, isn't it? It's, I've stolen Arthur's thunder, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, good, that's Neil. a good that's a good headline. Very good, Rob. Uh, you seen anything, Rob? I have seen. Well, yes. I just on that same theme, really. Do you know if you saw that that guy that CNN managed to find outside Guy's Hospital? I wasn't sure whether he was an actual person or whether the CNN had just rung up central casting and said, can you find us the most English person you can find in your over the age of 80 actors book? He was great, wasn't he? Because he'd apparently, I didn't know you could do this. Apparently you could just ring Guy's Hospital up and say, are you doing vaccinations? Can I have one? And they say, yes, please come along. And you can go along and, and you can, after after a nasty lunch... Yeah, nasty lunch. That's right. And a nasty lunch. Clearly, he's been eating in the guy's canteen. Um, uh, He then got a jab, and uh, he was very happy that he it would uh, in a. He didn't even notice it. He didn't even notice it going in. It was so quick. 
and uh, at least now he's not going to get that bloody virus or whatever he said. <laughs> so um, I, I still think he might be a, a plant that, you know, the, the um, equity could see CNN coming and thought, let's get old what's-his-face to do that one. He can do uh, archetypal English gent. Uh, crazy. But that's, you know, that's that's the... The cable news channel. Yeah, he, he he was great. He looked he he was in good shape for ninety one. Apparently, he looked he looked he looked well. And uh, now he's had the job. He, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's really. his actor sheet says he's seventy three, but could pass <laughs> for ninety one. <laughs> Accents done. Plumbing. Such, such a cynic, Rob. Um, <laughs> Arthur, have you seen anything? Don't mind if no, you know. no. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely keep that one in. Um, all right. Arthur's so, had, he's seen that picture of Boris and David Frost sat stood next to Van der Waal. Ah, Looks like he not only has he been negotiating all day, looks like he's been negotiating all night. He looks like he's wearing a mattress or something. Really shocking. <laughs> he, he never brushes his hair, Boris, though, does he? No matter where he goes. Yeah. He unbrushes it, Neil. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, Boris Johnson's here. Uh, what, a way, what a way to finish this week's pod. Um, thank you very much uh, to Rob, to Neil, and to Arthur. Um, pod is available on the PM website and from all your usual download sites. Um, please comment about us, like us, recommend us to your friends and colleagues and families and neighbours. And uh, yeah, it's all good. The listenership is growing at a rate of knots. So thank you very much for that. Uh, look out for our Christmas special next week. Uh, we've got lots of things planned. We just need to work out what they are. But uh, for now, from all of us, thank you very much for listening. Uh-huh.